Amen. You guys may be seated. My name is Walter again. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to thank you guys for joining us today. I do want to make note that if you feel led to give, you are able to give in a variety of ways. You can give online. You can scan the QR code. You can give via text. You can even give as you exit. We're grateful if you are willing to support the mission here at Holmes Avenue, and we're thankful for those of you who are a part of our family. Now, today, we've got the Easter story, the resurrection story, and, and simply put, as we begin our time in the Word, this is a familiar story for us, that you and I have heard this many times in many ways, and this week, as I've prepared, I've really found myself wrestling with and asking why. Why is the resurrection so important for us? Why is the resurrection so significant? Amid all the things that happen on Easter, I think it's easy for us to lose sight of why this story is so important. I recognize the reality that for some of you gathered here, you don't necessarily believe in the resurrection. Others, maybe you feel some type of sentimental connection to the story. Still others believe in the resurrection, but you're like me and you're asking why. Why is it so important? What is the significance of this moment? You know, there are a lot of theological appeals that I could make here. There are lots of theologians I could quote. Many men that I could try to point to to explain this. But frankly, while those things are important, they simply just don't answer this question for me. They simply do not answer why the resurrection is so important for us. You see, why the resurrection clicked is important this week, clicked with me in a conversation with my dad as we were talking about Easter. You see, I found that the resurrection is important for us because the resurrection offers hope. In this conversation with my dad, we were speaking about my mother, and as many of you know, it's been just over a year since we lost her. It was an unexpected moment. It's been a challenge. It's hard for a family. It's hard for someone to lose a loved one. You have experienced that grief and that pain. And the truth, as we were talking about this and wrestling with Easter and all that comes with this and how things just look different in this season for my father, it clicked for me that the resurrection matters because it offers hope. You see, because of the resurrection, I have the hope that my mother will live again. You see, because of the resurrection, I have the hope that one day there will be a heavenly reunion. Because of the resurrection, I have the hope that she dwells with God the Father. Simply put, if we can be honest with one another in this moment, this kind of hope brings a flutter to your heart, doesn't it? You too have grieved and you know the pain that this causes. Yet, in the midst of this hope that we have of the resurrection, you celebrate. You rejoice in recognizing that there is a peculiar kind of hope to be found in the midst of this grief. Simply put, today my goal is to just explain to you how the resurrection brings us hope. 
I believe that this passage is rich with not only this hope, but is ultimately very clear about how to find this hope. We'll be looking at Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. I'll read the text for you. Beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother Mary, the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. These words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Would you go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we are grateful for you today. It is our prayer that today as we study this section of scripture, that we could see the hope the resurrection brings. We could see the hope that you have given to the world, to your people, if we choose to believe. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to this, that we would listen intently so that we might find the answers. So we might find this hope that has been laid before us in the form of Jesus and his bodily resurrection. Lord, it is my prayer that you would speak very clearly through your word, through your spirit today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we begin, our first point is that the resurrection offers hope. The resurrection offers hope. Looking back at verses one through three, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As we enter into this passage, I found that in most churches, for most Christians, we are very quick to jump to the good news that is found here in verse three. We're very eager to get to this good news on Easter, and rightfully so, right? This is a day of celebration. We get to sit on this side of history, and we know how this story ends, and so let's get to the good stuff, right? Let's fast forward through the messy parts. Let's get to the climax, the scene we want to see. Yet in the midst of that, I believe that we miss something by jumping straight to the good news here at Easter. We miss something because each of the passages that are addressing Easter morning, they do not begin with good news. As the sun begins to rise over the land of Israel, it rises over a land in which the last major moment was Good Friday. 
As the disciples begin to awaken on this day, they've likely spent this weekend in fear, wondering if they would join Jesus in his death. They've wondered if this God that they have said they followed, that they spent three years of their lives with, is he really the one he proclaimed that he was to be? I can imagine as they've been going through town, whether it's in the market or going to the shower house or or just spending time in their neighborhood, the crucifixion has perhaps been the talk of the town. You see, the sun rises over the land while the disciples are living in darkness and despair. One of the reasons I think that we're so quick to jump to good news on Easter is because the beginning of this story is just too close to our present reality. That if we're honest with one another, that today we'll see a million pictures of smiling, well-dressed families with huge meals, and they're presenting a picture that all is perfect. Yet, the truth is, is that for many of us, those pictures are lies. We're not all happy and perfect, right? Right? You can look to your spouse and say amen. Some of us were broken. Maybe we're in the midst of breaking. Even in my own life, I've seen that we, we have been on the cusp of despair and, and mourning. Just yesterday, you saw perhaps that there was a shooting at Columbiana Mall in Columbia. My family was supposed to be at that mall yesterday afternoon. We were planning on going to a baseball game and then taking the family to Dave and Buster's to go celebrate. And if it weren't but for a few clouds that the Lord put in our path, pushing the baseball game back, we would have been there a hairbreadth away from disaster. The truth is, is this moment in Scripture, as we look at the darkness and despair that the disciples are in, it just is too close to home. If we're willing to be honest, some of us are forcing smiles and pretending that things are okay today. Some of us are just like the disciples. 2,000 years ago on Easter morning, they were afraid and alone. In this section, we're introduced to a few women here. We'll get to know more about them later on, but... We're introduced to these ladies, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and these other women who are coming to the tomb, this grave, with hope. They're not coming with this hope and a resurrection, but merely the hope that they could serve their Lord for one last time. You see, they're coming to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. We know from the other gospel accounts that they're not coming with a hope that Jesus would be raised. No, their biggest hope right now is simply that the Roman soldiers who are guarding the tomb might be willing to move the stone aside so they could prepare Jesus' body. That the only hope they have is that these men might look upon them and say, they're harmless widows. What could they do? Let them in. Yet on that morning... We're met with a story in the Gospel of Matthew of an earthquake. Perhaps as they're heading to the tomb, maybe as they're getting ready, there's an earthquake that strikes Jerusalem. The ground begins to shake and move, and in the midst of that, the stone is rolled away from the entrance. 
Again, looking at the other gospel accounts, we see that the women arrive to the tomb and they find the guards in shock over this simple truth. The tomb is empty. The women are confused. They begin to wonder if perhaps the Romans have hidden his body. They simply just want to find their Lord. The Romans are confused because they've been here on 24-hour guard watching this stone sit up against the wall in this valley. And as it's shaken and they see this tomb is empty, they ask the question, what in the name of the gods is happening here? In the midst of this, they're all missing the point of why the tomb is empty, of why the stone was rolled away. You see, this stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the witnesses could get in. The stone was rolled away so that the gospel of Jesus, the hope of the resurrection, could get out. You see, in the scriptures, as we study the New Testament in particular, Jesus himself spoke of his own death, burial, and resurrection over 20 times in the gospels. He was very clear to his disciples, to the people who followed him, that he had come to pay for the sins of people who needed forgiveness. He was very clear that paying this debt would require a transaction, a payment, if you will. He was very clear that it would be hard and difficult, but he would triumph. He was very clear that on the third day, he would rise from the dead. You see, it's because the tomb is empty that we can have hope today. In Jerusalem, there are three sites that they suspect were the burial place or the resting place, if we can use that, for Jesus. I've got a good friend who's been to Jerusalem over 50 times now. He's gone to these sites many, many times. And I asked him about these sites this week out of sheer curiosity, right? And on this video call, he looks at me and says, Walter, it might be hard to believe, but they're still empty. These tombs are still empty. This is why we can have hope, because our God, our Savior, is a living God and Savior. The tomb is empty because he no longer needs it because he lives. So if indeed we look at this and we recognize, we assent to the fact that this resurrection brings hope, if we say that indeed this resurrection is true and it brings us hope, how can we access it? How can we find this hope? How can we have it? That takes us to our second point, that our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is in the gospel. Beginning in verse four. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise. 
Our hope is in the gospel. As we continue in our passage, we've hit what is a rather dramatic moment. Everyone is standing outside the tomb in confusion. They're all asking the question, where did he go? The tomb is empty. Perhaps at this point, in between the fear and the concern, maybe we have the first inklings of hope begin to awaken in these women who've come to serve their Lord. It's here that the Lord makes very clear where our hope is to be found. We've got two angels appearing on the scene here in verse four, and each gospel account has a different description of the angels, but to summarize, all the gospel writers describe these beings as being memorable and attention-worthy. In Luke's account, I picture them showing up in your stereotypical prom outfit, glittering silver, right? Deflecting light off of them. Like people are paying attention to these guys. Everyone in this scene, everyone, including the guards, they shrink back from these beings in fear and awe. The angels ask a very simple question to all of them who've gathered together. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, it's easy to read this and to just keep moving, right? We want to go to, he is risen, he is risen indeed. But we've got to pull a little bit more from this. We can't move on too quickly. I said this a few weeks ago, preaching on Ephesians chapter 2, but... Dead people are good for one thing and one thing only, staying dead. Dead people are really good at staying dead. That's it. They have no other tricks. They don't roll over. They're dead. Yet the angels are not here standing and saying, let the dead lie in peace. No, they are proclaiming that you cannot, that you will not find the living among the dead. You see, it's here in the second half of verse five where our hope begins. Jesus is demonstrating that he is exactly who he proclaims he is. C.S. Lewis has this interesting thought exercise about Jesus. He calls it the trilemma. You know, he argues that some say Jesus is a good teacher. Right? He's just a good teacher who gives us some things that we're to live by. And if we follow this, moral life will be okay. Yet he says that the truth is, is that if Jesus was a good teacher, he surely would have recanted of his teachings before going to the cross. Some would say that he's a lunatic. Some would say that he's insane, right? Because surely a man who is insane and not in control of himself might go to the cross. But would men like the apostles suffer brutal, horrific deaths in the name of a lunatic? No sane man would do that. C.S. Lewis says that, well, perhaps he was a liar. But again, he points to the apostles going, all of them died brutal deaths. Who would willingly choose to die for a liar when you can choose life? He's left with this conundrum and he says, well, if none of those can be true, then it must be true that he is indeed the Lord. 
See, the angels are not proclaiming that he is a good teacher. They're not proclaiming that he was a lunatic or a liar. They're proclaiming that the Lord lives. And the truth is, the angels are not proclaiming anything that these women don't know that they haven't heard. See, the angels say, remember how he told you. These women are just like us. They so easily forget the truth of the gospel when we encounter hardship and difficulty. Jesus was quite clear in his words to the disciples regarding his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, over 20 times he referenced it. I'll just read Luke 19, 22. It's the only one I'll read today. But it reads, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The angels are paraphrasing some of Jesus's words for the gathered crowd, the gathered people. And they begin to remember the promises of God. They begin to remember the words of Jesus. Remember, over 20 times, he confidently predicted his death, burial, and resurrection. It's here in verses six and seven that we find our hope. If I might quote one of the great hymns, our hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is why the angels say here that the Son of Man must be delivered. The Son of Man must pay the penalty of sin. The Son of Man must go to the cross so that you and I might be found pure and holy if we would repent of our sins. You see, we can only have access to the great hope that is found here through faith in Jesus. Truly, the resurrection is meaningless for us if we don't have faith in the one who was resurrected. As we wrestle with this, we're forced to come into conflict with our own story. It's a story that we see in the Bible. It's a story we see in our lives that God created us. He created us with a purpose to know him, to be with him, to be a part of his family. That God in his majesty and mercy dwells in the heavenly places and looked down out to the emptiness of the universe and said, there should be something else. Something, a people that would reflect my glory and goodness that I could share this great love with. And so he created mankind. He created you and I to know him, to be known by him, to be a reflection of his great and majestic love. But into that story comes sin. We see that in the garden that Adam and Eve choose sin over God. We see that in our own lives where we have chosen sin over God. We've made choices that don't honor him. We've done things that don't reflect his love and majesty. We have chosen to be king, to be God, rather than worship God. Into that story steps Jesus. The Jesus is being spoken about right here. 
the Jesus who confidently predicted his coming death, burial, and resurrection. The Jesus who lived the perfect life that we could not. The Jesus who paid the penalty of sin that not of one of us could afford. And in this story, we have Jesus who has been resurrected 2,000 years ago on an Easter morning, perhaps just like today. And in that, this demands a response. Because if we want this hope that we have in the resurrection, it requires us to put our faith in Jesus. If we are going to experience the resurrection, if we're going to experience forgiveness of sins, it begins with trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father but through me. Now you may hear that and you might think, I'm not good enough for this gospel. Who am I to come to the King of Kings after all I've done, after all I've said? Who am I to experience this free gift of grace? The truth is, not a one of us are worthy. Not a one of us are worthy this gift of grace. Yet, we are not defined by our worthiness to receive this grace, but by the generosity and kindness of the one who offers this grace. You see, I think that you'll find that just like the disciples, when we truly encounter the gospel of Jesus, his love changes everything for us. His love changes everything for us. That takes me to our final point today, that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Beginning in verse eight. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and to all the rest Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. We come to the last act in our passage today. And at this moment in the passage, we see the women remembering the words of Jesus. I can just imagine they're experiencing great joy over this fact that Jesus lives. I just picture them dropping everything, leaving their baskets, leaving their stuff behind to run back to the disciples with this good news. After all, they've just encountered this truth that Jesus has been resurrected. So, of course, we've got to go tell the world. You see, they arrive and they proclaim that Jesus is risen. Yet this message does not carry the same weight with all the disciples. It seems that to most of these disciples, their idle tales... The ladies were maybe hallucinating. Maybe they thought they saw something. But this can't be true, right? 
No one resurrects themselves from the grave. And the irony of this is that they spent three years with Jesus, hearing the same words and more, just like these women. And they reject this good news. Yet, as we study the gospel accounts, we see that there are two, there are two disciples who say, there may be something to this. We see from the scriptures that Peter and that John, who's described as a beloved disciple, they hear this news and they run to the tomb. We know John is a part of that because John describes in John chapter 20 that he outran Peter to the tomb. As we look at this, these two men are in a dark place. John is running to the tomb He's looking for reassurance of what to believe. He's been described as the beloved disciple, that he was perhaps closer to Jesus than any other disciple. This is the man that Jesus said his mother would be cared for by. He was perhaps the only disciple to go to the cross and wait to see Jesus passing. And perhaps he's in a dark place of wondering I stood there and saw all of this and did nothing. Did I do the right thing? Is he really who he says he is? Am I gonna bear the weight of caring for his mother for the rest of my days with a hope and a savior and a Messiah that is not true? Peter's in a dark place. In fact, I think Peter's in a darker place than John. You see, I think Peter is running to the tomb because he desperately needs hope right now. Just a few short days ago, he boldly proclaimed to Jesus that he would never deny him. He would never abandon him. Yet, when the chips are cast, when all is being put on display, he freely and willingly condemns him. He even, in the book of Matthew, calls down curses from heaven to make it clear that he's not a follower of Jesus. He's so broken, as we see in the book of Matthew, that he runs away from Jesus being escorted through the courtyard, weeping because he knows that he has done the very thing he swore he would never do. You see, in the midst of this, these women have come back with good news They've come back with the good news that Jesus lives. And he jumps at this chance. He jumps at this chance to see things made right. He gets to the tomb. He sees this empty tomb with the grave cloths lying there. And he walks away thinking maybe, just maybe, there is a chance that this can be made right. Just maybe, I can find forgiveness. Dr. Jeff Strucker, a professor of mine at Southeastern Baptist, has said that it ultimately takes forgiveness to restore a broken relationship. That ultimately it takes forgiveness to restore a broken relationship. You see, Peter ran to that tomb to find forgiveness. 
He ran to that tomb to restore his position before the Lord. If we're being honest with one another, we have been in Peter's shoes, haven't we? We've had that relationship that's broken. And we've wondered simply, can this be fixed? Can can this get better? We've prayed, Father, if you could do anything about this, would you please fix it and make it right? We've asked the Lord, how can we fix it? How can this be made right? See, the truth is, that's exactly how the Lord approaches us. He looks upon this relationship between us and himself and he asks, how can this be made right? This relationship cannot be made right by our own works. There is no work, there is no deed we can do that would make this right. There is nothing we have to offer before the Lord that is not already his. We are powerless to make this right. And in order to see this broken relationship repaired, we need forgiveness. This story can only be made right by God himself. This is the why of Easter. This is why the resurrection matters. This is why the resurrection gives us hope Jesus came into this story, into our story, to make things right for you and I. But only if, only if we would trust in him. Jesus says elsewhere in the scriptures that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He can't just be one, but he's got to be both. And in order for us to experience the resurrection, we must first experience life in Jesus. Perhaps you're here, like Peter, searching for someone to make things right, to offer forgiveness to you. Maybe you're like John, rushing around for reassurance of what to believe. You see, the answer to both of these men is to trust and rest in a resurrected Savior. It is to look upon this cross and to recognize that this cross is only beautiful because of the blood that stains it. It has made us pure. The answer for us this Easter Sunday, if we're to find hope in the midst of turmoil, if we're to find the hope that the resurrection offers us, we are to trust in Jesus. Simply put, you may be asking, how do I find that? How do I find that hope? You look at yourself, you examine your heart, and you cry out to God himself, proclaiming that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Forgive me, Father. Would you bring me into your family and lead me into righteousness? 
You've already seen someone experience that. As we celebrated the baptism of John, what a beautiful moment to rejoice that someone has crossed from death to life. The truth is that you and I have this opportunity. This opportunity to look to Jesus, to look at that beautiful cross and to find redemption and salvation. If only we are willing to humble ourselves to receive this free gift of grace. Here in the next few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to receive this gift of grace. That in a moment, we'll have a time of silent prayer, of reflection and meditation for, for you to gather your thoughts and to reflect upon what the Lord is saying to you now. And then I'll lead us in a time of, of brief prayer together and then we'll move into this beautiful moment of partaking of the Lord's Supper of reflecting and meditating upon the cross that brought us forgiveness by partaking of the bread and the grape juice, the blood and the body of Jesus. It'll be a beautiful moment that Pastor Brian will give us more guidance on in a moment. But if I might, I want to encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer with me, to seek his face and simply ask him, Lord, What would you have me do? And then follow his commands. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, on this resurrection someday, we come to you reflecting upon your glory and your majesty. It seems that we're just a few months removed from celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and now we come to the second defining moment in history, the cross. And then we hit perhaps the most crucial part of history, the resurrection. Father, we rejoice that our Savior lives. We rejoice that Jesus is beside you at the throne, worshiping you even now, interceding on our behalf so that we might have access to you through his payment for sin and shame. Lord, this is the reason we come to you today. That for all of us, we desire you to have your will in our lives. And Father, we simply ask you, would you show us, would you command us on how we are to respond? My hope and prayer, Father, is that for our hearts, our minds, our souls, they would be open and receptive to the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior. For those that have already repented of their sin and shame, praise God that we identify with Jesus, that we've been made righteous. 
May we celebrate that sacrifice and commemorate it by partaking in the Lord's Supper and rejoicing that someone paid for our sin and shame when we were in rebellion. Father, for those here who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that the trajectory of their lives would change. They would look upon you in your glory, in your radiance, and say, this is the answer, this is the hope that I have been looking for. And they would clearly, boldly repent of their sins and follow you for the rest of their days. Father, I pray that your spirit would work upon us even now, that you would put to death the lies of Satan and the enemy and let us see and hear you and you alone in this time. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And we are so grateful that you are willing to be our Father. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.